0: Welcome to episode 304 of the IT Career and podcast. My guest on today's show has been building AI, machine learning, and deep learning solutions for the enterprise for the better part of the past decade, having worked with everybody from the federal government to two person startups to the Fortune 100. He has also educated hundreds of business owners in the successful implementation of deep learning through a simple framework that helps executives rapidly accelerate the adoption of the technology in their businesses. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Slater Viktorov.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Slater, that's obviously a very sort of executive summary of of who you are. Maybe you could give us a bit of a color around what you do.
1: Absolutely. Uh Absolutely. on the day-to-day, right, I'm the CTO and the founder of Indico Data Solutions. Uh, you know, I, I think the role of a CTO is always a little bit different from person to person, but the way that I like to think about it, really where I like to play uh, you know, from an IT career perspective, if you will, is all, all through my career, I've been really, really focused on solving hard problems in the macro. You know, I always like to say, I never want to be doing something that I believe will get done without me. Um, <laughs> yes. And I think uh, you know in this particular context, you know what I what I do, and this changes a lot with scale. But my main responsibilities today focus around IT strategy, right? Uh, oh, sorry, I, IP and IT strategy. Uh, the idea, you know, how do we make sure that Indico is always staying on the cutting edge? How do we make sure that we're protecting ourselves strategically, right? A lot of product prioritization, uh, you know. But but I do still actually find the time to code, which uh, you know I, I know a lot of a lot of folks say that you know, as, as a technical person, as you advance your IT career, there is definitely a lot of push to go more to management and, you know, stop coding and whatnot. But I, I like to think of myself as a testament to the fact that that's not true.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right there. I, th- I think also people have the opportunity, don't they, to make a decision. Um, if you can balance both, fantastic. But, but you often get to a point in your career where you have the opportunity, don't you, to move into management. But there's also now probably more so than there used to be the opportunity to move more technical, if you like, in terms of the way you develop your career and build it. It's now more seen as a recognized path as opposed to you having to go into a management
1: Absolutely. You know, and I think that's actually one of the biggest improvements in this space. You know, it's something that makes me very, very happy. And, you know, I think that Google really, really led the charge there. And something that we lean into really, really heavily here at Indico is that, you know, you want everyone doing what they're best at. Uh, and you've got technical leaders that are incredible architects and you've got technical leaders that are incredible managers. And, you know, you know, sometimes you might find that rare unicorn that is both, but it's very, very rare. And when you've got one and you try to force them to do both, it it makes everyone less happy is it's kind of our view.
0: Yeah. I I think you're right. That that definitely can happen. Okay. um, Slater, can you maybe share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be?
1: You know, I think one of the things that was really surprising to me, uh, and this is engineering broadly, but it certainly applies, you know, in IT to a pretty extreme extent. Um, And that's that I think a lot of uh, folks have this impression that going into technical fields is, well, you know, a technical endeavor. Uh, and, And one of the things that I actually really have kind of an unconventional definition on is exactly what those lines around, you know, who's technical and who's not. Uh, I know a lot of people tend to say, you know, only engineers are technical um, and only, you know, software engineering or mechanical engineering or again, you know, sort of detailed programming. That is what is technical. Um, I have a very, very different definition. Right. So at uh, Indico, for instance, we consider product and design. You know, those are technical disciplines. They're just different technical disciplines, you know, marketing and, you know, partner building right? even sales. Right. These all to us, you know, those are different kinds of of technical expertise. But what it also means. Right. And and kind of the, the inverse of that. And where I think this turns into a really important lesson for, for engineers is recognize that regardless of what role you're in, so much of your ability to be effective and drive change in your organization is going to be pegged to how well you can, you can storytell, how well you can convey your point of view, right, and how well you can work across those different functions. I think a lot of engineers, they, they tend to get this mentality that engineering is a, is a solo sport, right? You know, leave me in my corner or something. And it, it absolutely couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, I, I'm very biased, I'll say, in, in this respect. Uh, my school, the Olin College of Engineering, uh, their point of view, other than saying that engineering education fundamentally should be project-based, which, which I agree with, they also say that in order to be effective, uh, any engineer really should have a design minor. Right. they, they, you know, kind of enforce that through their coursework, but it's something that I find that just a little bit of design and user thinking mentality for an engineer is just this incredible force multiplier for the work that you can do.
0: Yeah, I know that's a good point. And in terms of sort of, sort of understanding, if you like other skill sets that, that relate to what you do, do you feel that's important in particularly within your own company?
1: I mean, for, for me, it is absolutely critical, right? It is one of those things that, um, and this is actually kind of interesting because I think, regardless of whether you go down the deep technical path or the deep management path, you know, the larger, the, the further you go in an organization, right, the bigger the problems you're solving are, which fundamentally means the problems you're solving are more interdisciplinary, right? And yeah. whether you're doing yeah. a management role or, or a technical role, they're still getting more interdisciplinary. Um, you know, it's one thing that, that, you know, at Indico, for instance, I don't believe you can really be an effective, uh, you know, product manager without a certain level of, of technical background. Um, and you know, we, we've kind of got that in our folks. So again, I, I think it goes both ways, but I think that, um, you know, if engineers want to be better understood by the business and PMs, right. Uh, you know, they have to be willing to take on a level of that ownership as well.
0: Yes. That's a good point. Definitely. Okay. Um, Slater, can you share with us your worst career moment and what you learned from that experience?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I mean so you know I, I will say going through on the on the startup side of things right you know there there are there are high highs and there are low lows uh so you know my my first reaction right to that is that you know there have been so many really, really difficult points uh from kind of a professional perspective you know building this company that it is it is difficult to pick just one. I think that um, you know, from from a you know macro perspective, the kinds of situations that have been really, really challenging and difficult for me, um, it actually, it's not really an issue with with amount of work. And you know, maybe I'm, I'm kind of different in this sense, but at least for me, the things that make uh, uh, kind of a professional day right or professional direction difficult, it's not really a question of magnitude of work, right? It's much more this question of you know, how aligned, uh, what you're doing is with your skill sets. So if I had to point at, you know, and this is a a pretty reasonable example, you know, one big kind of career faux pas I made that, you know, if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, absolutely don't do that. It was, you know, several, you know, multiple years during which I was the CEO of Indico, right? Um, and I think that my, my point of view there, right, is that I, it's not that I was bad in that role, and that was almost the, the most insidious piece, right, is that, you know, maybe I was a, a top 10% kind of CEO, right, but I was a top, you know, 1% CTO, and Indico deserved a top 1% CEO as well. Um, and, and I think that, you know, just trying to force myself into a bucket where I didn't fit, you know, that, that really has been the cause of all of my, my major career faux pas. And the more you can really understand, you know, what situation you need to be in to bring your A game to work, you know, the better you're going to be.
0: Yeah. So presumably there are now sort of, you, you're probably aware of indicators of that, that enable you to decide or, or understand whether you're a good fit for what you're doing at that time. <laughs>
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think so much of it for me comes down to this, uh, you know, it's what you want to pick up after you've gotten everything you need to do done. Uh, you know, that, that was how I honestly got into Indico in the first place, right? Even this idea that I wanted to start a company, you know, I'd go, I'd go to work. And then, you know, the second work was over, I found myself getting really, really excited to, to build these ML solutions, to read papers, to, you know, sit down and start hacking with my friends on some of these problems. Um, and, and fundamentally, you know, it was following that that urge and, and that love that, you know, led me to this. And I think that, you know, whether that's on the macro scale of, of kind of creating a company or on the micro scale of, you know, which of your roles you find most fulfilling, uh, certainly at a startup, right, you know, you might have five or six different hats. And it's, it's less the question of what role is perfect for you and more the question of which hat you're going to take off next. Uh, and that's something I've shamelessly stolen from our CEO.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, um, so maybe something a little bit more positive. Can you tell us about your career highlights?
1: You know, I think that the every single day, the thing that is most incredible to me, honestly, is just the the team that we've got. Right. Um, so, I mean, this will this will maybe be this is interesting. So, we had actually our first uh, in person kind of get together uh, in, you know, two days ago. And it was very, very fascinating because for a long time, right, Indico has been a a samey kind of size, but actually, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, as of 2020, we've tripled in size while we've been remote, which is this absolutely crazy experience. Because also for me, that came hand in hand with the change where, you know, up until that point, I had interviewed every single person that joined Indico uh, and that stopped, you know, drastically. Um, and I would say some of the small highlights were, you know, we put this uh, policy in place where, you know, I have one-on-ones with every new, new person that joins. And, you know, meeting the first people that I didn't interview, uh, we just like clicked immediately. I was incredibly impressed with it. not just the great attitude that everyone had, but the fact that they were incredibly, you know, they were competent, they were humble, they, you know, embodied Indica's core values. And every single time I, I interact with my team, right, and it was, you know, th- those feelings were all cranked up to 11. When I finally got to see everyone in person, right, you know, it was these folks that, you know, some, some had been working at Indico for over six months at that point, right, and just getting to meet them in person, right, and make that connection and just understand that that we really were all in it together. Uh, there's no better moment in my career than that That feeling of, of togetherness and that you know we've got this massive vision in front of us and every single person there was so focused on how we get it done
0: yeah that's good to hear i was just going to pick up on the, the the point about vision as well because obviously for that to have happened it sounds like you've successfully shared the values that you hold and you want um your company to sort of develop so the fact that you've managed to it or or sorry, that your team members have managed to bring in other people within, into the company who share those values is obviously a, a great thing and, and, and suggests that there's success in that whole process.
1: I, I totally agree. And, you know, I have to credit, you know, one of my co-founders, uh, Diana Yuan, she, she has done an absolutely incredible job, uh, especially as we moved into a, a remote first uh, kind of work environment. And and I think, you know, a lot of companies did this during the pandemic, but, you know, we're now spread across, you know, from coast to coast in the U.S. We, we actually do also have someone uh, in the U.K., uh, not not in London, but uh, in uh, New Birmingham, I believe, Um So, you know, we're we're kind of spread to the the four corners, right? And, you know, when we made that decision, that was one of our really key uh, concerns is that this culture is something that we had built really intentionally throughout, you know, both the mission and vision, which, again, we just kind of pound into every person at Indico, but these set of really important six core values, and, you know, maybe we can talk about those in a little bit. Um, and, And, you know, Diana has... And sorry, she, she's our uh, head of uh, talent and HR. You know, she makes sure that in the interview process, we're making it clear to every candidate, here are our core values, right? And we've intentionally made them, um, you know, on the edge of provocative because the way that we think about it is if we're really communicating our core values, you know, that should be telling as many people that it's not a fit for them as it is a fit for them. So we just really, really aggressively try to be upfront, uh, you know, all the way from candidacy and we hold that transparency through the entire time someone, you know, works at Indico, obviously. Um, you know, we want to assess compatibility. We want to figure out if this is a mutual fit between the two of us. Um, and, you know, I think when you're, you're extremely upfront about the cultural aspects you want to maintain, um, you know, it helps you make sure that the folks that are joining share those same values.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it does sound like that, that sort of um, vision and ethos behind your company is just as important to you as it is about, you know, being a company and making money.
1: You know, it, it's Simon Sinek's uh, why versus what, um, you know, it's one of the things that's, um, it's strange maybe for Indico a bit because, you know, we're a, you know, an eight-year-old company at this point, effectively. And, a lot obviously has changed about us in those eight years almost everything has changed um but the one thing that has not really changed is this sort of true north of trying to democratize this this modern technology right and and it's so interesting you know and it's one of the awesome things about this digital age right is we've got these eight-year-old pitch decks that we wrote when we were you know 21 year old schmucks back in college And uh, somehow, you know, 30 to 40% of those decks still ring true to the folks at Indico today. And I think that, you know, it was very, very hard to do that. Um, You know, I think that in hindsight, I would have stuck even more uh, dedicatedly to that true north. Um, Because it's, you know, you can find the opportunity, you can see the direction. It's very hard to know how long the road is, right? And nine times out of 10, the road's longer than you
0: think. Yes. I think that's very true. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so Slater, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in this particular industry?
1: Oh my goodness. I mean, there, there is absolutely so much here. I think, um, you know, if I, if I can be selfish for a little bit, you know, the space that we're in specifically is this unstructured, uh, you know, intelligence space. And for us, that spans a, a couple of pieces. That's automation. You know, that's analytics. That's applications. You know, what really, really excites me, though, and, and you know, we start seeing it in kind of whispers, right? When you look at RPA vendors, right? When you look at these new application development frameworks, right? When you look at all of these new flow-based uh, programming ideas, is it is really this idea of building almost a shared space right, where you can actually have non-technical subject matter experts contributing to the technical solution that you're developing, while similarly having kind of a a back into that, that really empowers individuals at organizations to use, you know, really powerful modular technologies. So, you know, when we look at things like GraphQL, right, and and I'll be honest, you know, when I first heard about GraphQL, I absolutely didn't get what was so powerful about the idea. Um, uh, You know, I think Kubernetes was sort of a... Actually, no, I I think I got Kubernetes a lot earlier than I got GraphQL. But both of them, to me, they really drive at this heart of this highly modular, highly configurable and hackable future um, that, you know, I think really empowers everyone to do their best work you know I I think it's it's still very much in the early days but I'm very excited for where that goes
0: yeah that's good to hear definitely okay we're going to go into the reveal round now we're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think you ready for this
1: oh I'm excited
0: (laughs) so what first attracted you to a career in IT you
1: know uh so this is something maybe a little interesting. Uh, I actually did not own my own computer until I showed up uh, at college. I uh, hadn't yeah. written a line of code, and I thought I was going to be a chemical engineer. So one thing was immediate to me is when I showed up at the first career fair. Uh, and you know even when I was doing research earlier than that, I realized that whatever I wanted to do long term, um, being able to code at least at a proficient level was going to be an incredible force multiplier for whatever I did. But you know, I, I think that moment for me, right, when things really, really flipped over, and I started to see this aha of you know, like this is this is really what I want to do, it was this incredible feeling of empowerment, right? You know, this idea that I could take a, a two pound piece of metal, right, this laptop, and, and build an empire, right, that is constrained by nothing more than my mind, and it was sort of this this first idea. You know, it's kind of the deeper you go into programming, right, the more the more that becomes true. You know, maybe goes in waves as you realize that you're not like very good and stuff is very hard. But, you know, I think that ultimately as a programmer, you you do get into this kind of mentality where you realize that so many of the limitations are, are self-imposed, right? You can do so much uh, on a laptop and and it's just, it's just incredible, right? Like I, I would go out like in, in flip-flops with uh with no backpack, right? Holding this two pound, you know, Mac, you know, 11 inch MacBook air. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think there's a more empowering feeling than that.
0: No, that's very good. That's interesting to hear. And and um, so how long was it before you actually did did own your own laptop?
1: So, you know, when you showed up uh, at at Olin, you know, that was one of the first things that you got. Um, yeah. Which, which was great, um, I guess. And then when I got my first, uh, it was several years still until I got the first one that wasn't uh, provided to me by the school. Um, but, you know... Uh, I will say, you know, from the time I, I found programming and, you know, I started with think like a computer scientist by Alan Downey. That was the, that was the book that really changed things for me. Um, and you know, I got absolutely bit by the bug, you know, I I went back and I did the math sometime later and I, you know, I averaged, you know, 12 hours a day coding consistently for something like the first two and a half, you know, three years, uh, that that I went to school. Um, I, I don't do quite as much now, but, uh, you know, it's not something I can quit.
0: Okay. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? You know, I think
1: maybe, maybe I'll twist it around a little bit, right? Because I think actually the, the best uh, change to my career, right? I'll say was to follow less advice, um, and I think, you know, may, maybe, this is a little different depending on, on where folks are at, but I think what's, what's very, very difficult. And what the hardest thing for me was, is that when you're just starting out, uh, and you hear advice from someone with a really serious pedigree, right. Um, it can make you doubt like everything you feel, like everything you think, you know, and i I very much had that problem, right. Where, you know, I'd get a piece of advice and it would turn my world upside down and every single piece of it was gospel. Uh, And I think that the most important thing for me to really recognize and, you know, whether, whether this, you know, and someone, someone I guess did tell me this is advice is that I needed to rely much more on my gut, right. Is that, you know, no matter what someone's pedigree is um, every situation is unique. It is individual. You are an expert in your own domain, like recognize that and, and realize that, you know, gut feelings, they are important. They are to be heated. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, like a holy grail and, and pay attention to them uh, above all else. But if someone's telling you something and it really, really conflicts with what you're feeling in your gut, be more willing to listen to that than maybe just listen to a resume.
0: Yeah, that's that is good advice. If it sometimes feels wrong, it could well be. So yeah, definitely. And this may be more difficult to answer, but what is the worst career advice you've ever received?
1: You know, I think the, the worst career advice I ever received, a lot of it focuses around um, control. I think that a lot of people, especially in uh, founding a startup, you know, I think they get overly caught up in this notion of, you know, who controls what, who's making decisions for the company. And look, if you're an experienced entrepreneur, right? And you're self-funding your first couple of rounds. That's one thing. Um, I really do believe, though, when you're when you're taking it around the first time, right, as a, as an entrepreneur, it, it's much much better to instead focus on making the company successful. And I just see so many people that they take that, you know, like I have to control the company, I have to own as big a piece of equity as possible, right? Like no one can tell me what to do. And I, I, I mean, I shot myself in the foot doing this, right? And I think a lot of of young entrepreneurs shoot themselves in the foot doing that.
0: Yeah. If you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do?
1: I, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to say that in today's world, I actually still think I would do Indigo. Um, yeah. I, for whatever reason, and I think this is something that I can't control very well, uh, I tend to think about technologies in five to 10 year arcs. Uh, and so, you know, sort of that, that initial Indico arc, right. That started, you know, again, over, over five years ago, it's just now kind of coming home to roost. So I think it's now in a very different way, you know, it's still, I think the most exciting problem I can see out there.
0: Yeah. Are you looking for the next arc at the same time?
1: I think that the, you know, Indico has moved on to its next arc. Right. I think that's how I would kind of characterize it, is that in a lot of ways, Indico is it's pushing the forefront of AI. And, you know, at, at first that was, you know, trans learning and NLP. You know, we, we did that for seven, eight years. Most people think that's a two year old field. But now that that is, you know, that kind of has gone mainstream, we have already identified what the next waves are and, you know, kind of executed and, and deployed them. So you know we always like to stay ahead i would say that i i love learning about new startups and it's very important to me to to give back to the community and advise you know young folks um and you know it does keep me fresh i'm always curious about what's happening um i you know i will say maybe one other application area that i'm like totally gaga over um you know i'm i'm advising here but frankly i'm i'm not smart enough to do it myself is uh, ai powered drug discovery
0: right okay it's not something i know much about so can you maybe give us a bit of an insight?
1: No, I, so you know, there's this company uh, that I'm advising called uh, Evolve. It's spelled E V Q L V, and the idea—it's actually—it's very, very cool—is that the same kind? It turns out that the same kind of reasoning that you do over language sequences is very, very applicable to reasoning over protein or, or genetic sequences. Um, which is kind of this, you know, it's opened up this really vast field of study. And, okay, you know, suddenly we've got these really powerful tools for understanding protein sequences. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard about AlphaFold, but it's now a place where all of these incredibly intractable, you know, biological, you know, computational biology problems like protein folding are suddenly being, you know, tackled with, you know, really, really incredible success. Um, And, and, you know, know, Evolve focuses on uh, antibody drug development today. Uh, but, you know, I think there there is this broader question of when we have a better understanding of, you know, all of these protein and genetic sequences, exactly what is possible and if that can change the way that we develop drugs.
0: Yeah, that, that'll be amazing development if that, that happens, definitely.
1: 100%. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's starting, you know, there's some really, really big players sniffing around. And I think it's, I think it's a matter of when, not if.
0: Right. Okay, well, let, let's yeah. hope. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what career objectives are you currently focusing on?
1: You know, we're trying to grow Indico. Uh, we we hit seventy one employees uh, recently. Uh, that includes part time and interns, but I mean, you know, it's huge for us. Feeling really, really great. Um, you know, but, but fundamentally, we've got a huge, huge vision at Indico, right? What we're trying to do is create this this space of unstructured intelligence that is a, a massive pain point, but it's it's just not well solved today. Right, um, there, there's very, very few companies out there that really offer something that that scratches this itch, and so a lot of what we're trying to do at Indico today, and you know, part part of why we're here, right, is let people know that this is a problem that can be solved, right, and and you know, get our message out there. We've got you know a, a nice set of very, very happy customers, uh, and we just want to help them tell their story.
0: Yeah. And what do you do in your spare time? Uh, you know, more than a
1: couple things. Uh, so martial arts used to be a big thing of mine. I had a very short MMA career, uh, though it's been a few years since I've, I've practiced that seriously. Uh, I do vegan baking, which I usually describe as more mad science than baking. Uh, most folks uh, don't believe that vegan baking is a thing that you can do, which uh, is part of the fun. Um and, uh, and then I also am a science fiction, uh, you know, a sort of fiction writer. Uh, that's something that I really appreciate in my off time.
0: And what's the number one non-technical skill that's helped you in your career so far?
1: Uh, acting, definitely. Right. Um, pu- public presenting, you know, so I, I did theater uh, back early uh, in school and, and a bit before that. And my father actually was a theater major. Um, the ability to deliver and speak and, and create presentations and just stand with authority and pay attention to the way that you're presenting yourself has by far been more useful to me than almost any other skill.
0: Yeah, no, that is useful, isn't it? Definitely. And what do you do to keep your own career energized?
1: You know, I just try to talk to interesting folks. You know, there's a lot of cool folks out there. There's a lot of really great stuff to learn. You know, I'm always trying to to continuously improve. You know, I always want to be uncomfortable, but also just realizing that you know, talking to experts, you know, folks that I disagree with, right? Folks that uh, you know are in completely different fields is the best way to to keep my creative juices flowing, and that's important.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point. It's sometimes very useful, isn't it? Just to to find out what's happening in other industries and, and therefore learning what they're doing and how you might be able to utilize some of that information or knowledge in, in your own sector.
1: Absolutely. You know, it, it's a good feeling to um, be a big beginner again, I'd say, you know.
0: And Sater, can you share with us a final piece of career advice?
1: I think the, the final piece of advice I'd give is, you know, don't forget the why. You know, always remember why it is that you're building what you're building. Um, focus very, very much on on the end result You know, the customer that is going to be processing it no matter what role you're in. But I think it's more important for engineers than than anyone else.
0: Yes. Very good. And Slater, how can we find out more about you and connect with you?
1: Uh, You can follow me on Twitter, SL8RV. Feel free to ask me a core question or connect with me on LinkedIn.
0: Fantastic. Slater, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you.
1: Thanks for having me, Phil. It was a pleasure.
0: Hi, Phil here again. Just a final few words from me. Firstly, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their career tips, experiences, and insights with us on the show today. As you probably know, There have been more than 200 guests on the show so far and I'm continuing to try to attract new guests that can provide great insights to all of us. However, to enable me to do this, I need to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and reach an extended audience. And you can help me in doing this by subscribing to the show and providing a rating and review in whichever platform you listen to. Thanks again for your support and until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.